So this week, with a little help from my friends, we're going to be hearing from Joe Dentacy. He's been the RUF campus minister at Penn State the last five years and served uh, in Birmingham prior to that. And he is leaving RUF, which I'm very sad about. We've been uh, roommates at staff training the last several years, and um, he's a really close friend. But I'm excited that he is taking a new position in South Carolina as an associate pastor. Going to miss him a lot at training and love him a lot. And I hope that in about 25 minutes, you'll know him a little bit and uh, love him too. He's preaching on what it means to be blessed uh, from the Beatitudes. And I think that you'll enjoy it and get a lot out of it. This morning, we're going to look at a familiar passage, what may be familiar for a number of us. And it is the first part of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. So let's listen to God's word. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you for preserving your word for us. We thank you for sending Jesus, and we ask now that you would dig out for us ears to hear and eyes to see him. Would you do this by your spirit? We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, what do you think it means to be blessed? I think if anything has helped me understand blessing, it is the hashtag on social media, blessed. It's amazing to me how much much social media has factored into at least our modern conscious thinking about the word blessed. So I, I took it upon myself recently to look up a few blessings on social media. At C. Kurt Stevens says, love this gal. 25 years ago, we said, I do. Can't imagine my life with anyone else. I definitely outpunted my coverage. Hashtag blessed. That's really sweet. At Bernie Boy 9 says, happy to announce I'm the male Hawkeye athlete of the year. Hashtag blessed. It's a little self-serving. At Tillian When you have enough songs that you have to Google your own lyrics to relearn them, hashtag blessed. Okay, now, come on. Is this guy for real? (laughs) So what is hashtag blessed? It's obviously a little confusing. It can be sometimes quite genuine and thankful. It can be a thinly veiled humble brag, and it can be outright self-promotion. Hashtag blessed is confused. NPR ran a story last month entitled, Hashtag Blessed, Is Everyone Happier Than You on Social Media? (laughs) Have you ever wondered that? You look at social media, you look at the projections that you see, and you think, what is wrong with me? 
They reported that someone on BuzzFeed posted on Twitter asking for photos. Send in your photos of a time when you look outwardly amazing and inwardly you are languishing. And at this request, their feed blew up. Pictures coming from all over the place saying, look at me on the beach, I was suicidal. Look at me here, I was dying. Look at me right here, I'm going through a divorce. We make projections of ourselves that do not fit with what we feel on the inside. In fact, it's crazy how common it is for us to post the opposite of what we feel. Researchers are now seeing that those of us who spend the most time on social media are three times more likely to enter into a season of depression. And so if social media has done anything for us, it has highlighted pretty poignantly how much we long for blessing, how much we long for the good life. In our culture, we project what we want, even if we don't feel it ourselves. But Jesus poses for us this question, what if when you feel the emptiest on the inside, you're actually not moving away from blessing, you might be moving towards it? It's counterintuitive, and yet this is exactly what he's saying. The Beatitudes, the blessed ours, don't describe for us how to get blessing. They simply describe what it looks like, what it means to be blessed. They describe what it means to be known by the blesser. The Gospel of Matthew is painting for us a a new king, a new priest, a new prophet who is coming, who is ushering in his kingdom. And so if we want to know what true blessing is, we have to learn to bow the knee before the true king. If we want to know what true blessing is, we have to learn what it is to listen to him as he speaks as a prophet. But we've got to see that what we need most of all is his sacrifice for us that we might be rightly related to our God. You see, it's here in the Beatitudes that we find a true snapshot of what it means to be blessed. Knowing Jesus is where we find the good life. Knowing Jesus is where we find true blessing. Again, this is not, Jesus is not describing how to get blessing. He's simply describing what it means to be blessed. Some of us will see a passage like this and think it's a series of steps, do this and do this and do this, and then we'll be blessing. How in the world do we find this persecution, and then we will have blessing? It's not like if you've seen these cane trucks driving around town. Have you seen these cane trucks? They've got a slogan on the back. Be kind, be careful, be yourself, which is nonsense. Because what if myself is neither kind nor careful? Be kind, be careful, be yourself. That's not who I am. I said, be kind, be careful, be yourself, right? It doesn't work. It's nonsense. The Beatitudes function a lot more like the Marine Corps slogan. The few, the proud, the Marines. Not telling us to do anything. This is who we are. The end. The few, the proud, the Marines. The Beatitudes are really an overview of what kingdom character looks like, and then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus unpacks what this character does 
And so I would commend the Sermon on the Mount to you, Matthew's, Matthew 5 through 7. And so you've got this 10,000 foot view of kingdom character. And so let's look at the blessed life as Jesus describes it through a series of beatitudes. And the first four describe our relationship to God, that is emptiness. And the second three describe what God does in our lives and the lives of others. And the last two describe what God does through others, often in our lives. So our relationship to God that's empty, what he does in us and the lives of others, he fills us. And then the last one is persecution, what God often does through others in the lives of his people. So let's start with the first four. Again, he's not prescribing how to get this character. He's simply describing the character that he gives his people. When Jesus starts with this first beatitude, he's laying a foundation for kingdom character. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What he's saying is critical, of, of, of the utmost importance. If you've ever felt empty on the inside, you are not moving away from blessing. You're moving closer to it. Tim Keller says, most people are not poor in spirit, but rather they are middle class in spirit. What he means is most people think they are middle class in spirit. I have resources. I'm not empty. I can take care of myself. Thank you very much, even spiritually speaking. But this is, when, we're, when we're middle class in spirit, we've got a lot more in common with someone who says, I'm a great singer, and I'm going to audition on American Idol. But then we find out they are not a good singer. They are poor in singing and not middle class or upper class in singing. When we think that we have it, we are not poor in spirit. Middle class in spirit sounds great, but it projects blessing. And Jesus draws near to those who don't project blessing but need blessing. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a story that I think paints a a beautiful picture for us. We read, Jesus told this story to some who trusted in themselves, that is, they were middle class in spirit, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, that is a church leader, and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. You can almost see him in the temple pulling out his phone. Hashtag blessed. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified that is blessed, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see it? The sinner pictures for us what it means to be blessed, especially these first four Beatitudes. He is poor in spirit, and he mourns over his sin. He knows that he sinned against God and not just others. He's meek. And he is hungry for righteousness because he knows that he does not have any of his own. 
To be clear, both men, objectively speaking, are poor in spirit. It's just that one of them knows and the other does not. The first beatitude is embodied by the one who's praying. He knows that he's poor. He's not projecting blessing. He doesn't think that he can sing when he really can't. He doesn't think that he can stand before his maker when he really can't. And this is why we can't accept Jesus' teaching without also accepting who he is. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're thinking, I'm not crazy about Christianity. I'm not crazy about his church, institutional religion, but I love what Jesus has to say. And Jesus doesn't give us that option here. Because if all we need is good teaching, then we are not poor in spirit. We are middle class in spirit. Just tweak the way that I think. Give me some resources, another how-to, and I'll be okay. We need Jesus along with what he says. He's a package deal. Because if we're middle class in spirit, then we won't really mourn over our sin. And we certainly won't hunger and thirst for true righteousness. And we will look a whole lot more like the, ta- more like the Pharisee than the tax collector. Glad I'm not like this guy. And we won't pray, not at least real prayer, not the kind of prayer that honors God, not the kind of prayer that he loves to answer. You see, prayers that honor God, prayers that he loves to answer come from a place that knows that we are empty, bankrupt before our maker. The kind of prayer that flows out of a poor heart, a broken heart, a hungry heart. You see, the first four Beatitudes describe people in God's kingdom as people who know they are empty. And see, what makes Christianity unique from every other religion and every other worldview is that it's not those who are good that are blessed. It's not those who have it together that get blessed. It's those who are poor and know they are poor that are blessed. This is why Christians say that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. See, what we see is God does not draw near to those who think they are put together. He doesn't draw near to projections of hashtag blessed. He draws near to hashtag poor, hashtag broken, which is incredibly good news if you've ever felt that way. Have you felt that way? Even if you didn't tell anybody? I'm empty, I'm broken, what's wrong with me? The kingdom is for those who are poor. And those who are poor get equipped to serve and live in the kingdom. Those who are poor learn how to love others. How can the empty love others? Well, they have to be filled. You can't be filled unless you know you are empty. They must be filled by a God who draws near to the empty. And he draws near to those who need mercy, with the result being that they become merciful themselves. And their poverty, and their mourning, and their meekness, and their hunger is promised to be met with an inheritance of the kingdom and the earth. God promises to comfort and satisfy those who are empty. The Sermon on the Mount shows us the character of those who belong to this King, Jesus, what it looks like to serve him. 
chances are, if you are in this room, if you would wake up on a Sunday morning and spend it with other people who have nothing better to do, right, we want to at least be good people. Chances are, if you're in a room like this, you want to be a loving person. That's what I want. Be better than I am. Even the middle class and spirit want to be loving, often. And here's the thing. Jesus' kingdom is all about loving others. Jesus talks all the time about love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says if you love others, you fulfill the law. The kingdom is all about loving others. But you can only love others with what you have been loved with. You can only love once you've received the love of your maker through the face of Jesus. You see, God blesses us by meeting us in our emptiness, and he shows us in these next three beatitudes that he fills us. It's a characteristic of those who belong to Jesus that they become loving and merciful to others. They have desires to keep the peace. What Jesus is teaching us here and elsewhere is that the the mark of those who have received great love, those who have received great mercy, is that they become loving and merciful themselves. And the clear implication is this, if you would really love others, if you would really be full of mercy and peace towards others, you have to understand first that you are poor in spirit. In other words, you have to come to a point that you realize that unless God works something into us that can then be worked out, I have nothing to offer. But when you realize this, God will fill us with mercy and with peace and with purity. Now, here's what's beautiful about a passage like this. Here's what's beautiful about the kingdom character that Jesus describes because it challenges two types of people, and that's most of us. One kind says, what matters the most is how you treat people, not what you believe. Just love people. Yes, of course, be merciful. Love people. And the other kind of person says, no, what matters the most is what you believe, and I find it incredibly hard to be merciful to those who don't believe what I believe. What matters more is to be loving, or what matters more what you believe, and Jesus says they're both essential components to what kingdom character looks like. You actually can't have one without the other, is what he's saying. Jesus is saying that our character has to be both pure and merciful. So how do you go from being poor in spirit to being pure in heart? And Martin Luther says this, watch and ponder what God says and replace your heart's ideas with the word of God. I'll read that one more time. Watch and ponder what God says and replace your heart's ideas with the word of God. You see, kingdom character is both marked by a heart that's learning to think like the Bible and it's marked by love and mercy for others. In other words, how we think about God and how we act in his name are two sides of the same coin a character that Jesus has to work into us. And Jesus says this character will often lead to persecution. As an American who has a lot of resources and has had a pretty easy life, I think I've got to be very careful when I use the P word, persecution, because it's happening all over the world. 
And Christians all over the world know this far more than many of us ever will. And we have to also understand Jesus is not talking about somebody saying happy holidays to us. That's not persecution, right? Persecution is coming for Christians all over the world. And here's what he's getting at. If you have the kind of faith that can hold on to King Jesus, even in the midst of great and hard opposition, do you know what that means? Jesus has blessed you. If you can hold on in the face of opposition, Jesus has blessed you. Only he can give that kind of faith. And so at this point, you might be thinking, um, Joe, I think that I might be middle class in spirit. The people that I argue with about truth, and I argue a lot, would never characterize me as merciful. They're hiding me on Facebook left and right. I pick fights. I'm not merciful. And others, you might say, Joe, the thoughts that go through my mind could be categorized as anything but pure. And still other of us might be saying, I I can't drink moderately, much let alone watch Netflix moderately. I can't be patient with my children for 24 hours. How in the world would I hold on to Jesus in the face of greater opposition? And do you know who asks these kinds of questions? The poor in spirit. Those who know that they don't have it together. Those who are beginning to thirst for righteousness because they know that they don't have their own. And Jesus promises to satisfy that thirst and to satisfy that hunger. Blessing is not for those who are good. It's for those who know they are poor. This kingdom character has only ever been embodied in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He emptied himself of all of his infinite glory and became poor and humble. And he mourned the sinfulness around him. And not because he thought he was better than everybody else or because he wanted to prove himself right, but because he loved those who were sinning. And he was merciful and he was pure and he was despised for it. He was persecuted for his character so that we might know the love of God. So that our character might be made more like his character. Jesus died for those who realize that they cannot pay off their debt. They cannot dig themselves out of the hole that they have dug for themselves. Jesus died for those who aren't just poor and hungry, but who realize they are poor and hungry for a person. Who realize they are poor and hungry for their maker. Who realize they are poor and hungry for the Lord Jesus. And righteousness becomes less an abstract idea. It's a person and he fills us. Because the character that Jesus will develop in his kingdom people is a character that remains dependent. Look at the progression again, and and Frederick Dale Bruner has been helpful for this, so I should give him credit. The first four Beatitudes are a picture, if you've got someone, a picture of somebody on their knees 
hold their, their hands up. I'm needy, I'm empty. And the second group of uh, Beatitudes is a picture of somebody walking on their feet with their hands serving others. And the last group is the same person who is back down on the ground at the hands of other people with a hand up to God saying, help. And do you see the progression? Emptiness that gets filled, not to forget emptiness, but to go back to emptiness. Jesus, I still need you. Those who love, love with somebody else's love. Every time. And kingdom dependence acknowledges that the riches that we need and the riches that we have are the riches of a person, the Lord Jesus. And only he can give us himself. The only real God-honoring love and mercy is really a sharing of what we have received from him. And he tells us life in the kingdom's often hard. And when life and people and circumstances make our lives difficult and we feel weak, we have to remember, all oh, right, I started out poor in the first place. Jesus met me then, he's going to meet me again. This is why we need Jesus. Preached to us over and over again. His word tells us that not just when we read it, of course when he reads it, but especially when he is preached to us. He offers himself to us. This is why in RUF we send ministers of the gospel to hand Jesus over in the pages of Scripture. And to say the kingdom is an institution and you need the church. And we need each other. And Jesus is at work in his kingdom. He's bringing his kingdom and he is bringing us with him, filling us where we are empty. You cannot manufacture this kind of character. It has to be given to you. And Jesus has died to make it ours. And if we will receive him by faith alone, life won't necessarily be any easier. But we will be rich in him and we will learn to love the way he created us to love in the first place. And he will keep giving us himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending King Jesus to be our prophet and our priest, and we confess to you that we don't think that we need him nearly as much as we do. But you are working your character into us. And so we pray that this character would mark us, that we would trust you, and that you would use us in your kingdom for your glory and the good of others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.